All right, let's pray. Father, how we love your word and we love to study it. We just pray now that you'll feed us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're at Exodus 12. We'll just start in uh, verse 1. Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the head of the months. To you it shall be the first of the months of the year. Now, that's interesting. If you study cultures and societies back then, nations and kingdoms, in those days, they had different calendars. Now, most of them were lunar calendars, not to say that they didn't go by a 30-day cycle, generally speaking, but, uh, or a 28-day cycle. But um, the time of year, which they considered New Year, the New Year, was different for various nations. Well, Israel never had anything like that. Uh, and they are now a nation. We'll, we'll see a little later here uh, uh, how many people were coming out of, of Egypt. But there's also um, a spiritual reason behind this. These are God's people. These, these are the elect of God. Out of all the people in the world, these are God's people. His plan and his purpose will continue through these people. They are, this is the day, nationally speaking, and you know what I'm talking about, this is the day of their salvation. This is the day of their deliverance. So God is saying to his people, you know, your life really doesn't begin until I redeem you. So their life as a people especially with regard to their calendar, begins with the deliverance of God. So verse 3, Speak to the entire congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month let each one take a lamb for himself, according to the house of his father, a lamb for each household. We'll stop there. Take note of the importance that God places on faith that grows within a household, within a family. I have this um, conviction, I guess, or, or it's not exactly a fear, but I, I have this dreadful thought that the modern church over the last three or four decades, maybe a little longer than that, Has, has taken or has, has, not, has not followed this principle uh, like the church once did. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that it's evil, but it troubles me. It's a troubling thought to me. Okay. A, a ministry to a particular... Uh, uh, lifestyle or a particular life situation or a particular age 
when that ministry focuses on that age, lifestyle, or whatever, without consideration of the household from which the family comes or from which the person comes. I've, 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 I've been a pastor since the 70s, and so I've seen all the... There are, sadly, there are, for example, there are ministries to children, to youth, to single adults, to singles again, so forth and so on and so forth and so on, that for some reason do not have automatically built into the ministries the importance of the family. God did not start it that way with Israel, and he didn't start it that way with the church, if you read the... You know, these guys that get saved, then what happens? They were baptized, and who else? Their households were baptized. Uh, it was, it, you know, life with God, redeemed life with God, should be a, a family affair. Um, in the Old Testament, not in Exodus, but later on in the law, the instruction from Yahweh was very strictly and carefully given to the people that they were to teach their children at the rising up, at the going to bed. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, the whole thing here, we're going to see on down here that this whole thing is something that is to be constantly in all of the generations that come after this, in all the families after this, what God is doing is to be, is to be something that is to be shared with every generation. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that daddy tells his son and his daughter. He tells his whole family. And then they have this special service of worship, the Passover. And together, they reflect on the power of God to save and to redeem and the importance of who among us you know, and this is, another, this is another troubling thing about the reprobate society in which we live today. But I think I would speak for those of us who are in this room anyway. Who among the truly redeemed of God, God's people would not have great burden and concern for immediate family members when it comes to faith and redemption? Um... Those should be our first, that should be Jerusalem. That should be our first uh, field of evangelism. And um, today, of course, uh, family units are practically, not completely, but family units are just not considered uh, in, in, in the modern era in which we live. It's, uh, it's the personal, it's the personal agenda of an individual relative to who he is, what he wants to do, regardless of where he came from, um, his family or, or whatever. Increasingly, uh, the institution of marriage is something that's just, uh, it's just, it's, it seems like it's irrelevant in society. It's hard 
to sit down and watch a TV series without seeing what happens to the romantic couple who never give a thought to marriage. They just jump in bed together, right? And no thought of a household um, or, or anything else. But this is not the way that it comes from the heart of God, and that is very obvious right here. What happens? Let each one take a lamb for himself according to the house of his father. A lamb for each household. Not just that, but the community of believers who share like faith and doctrine. Look at the next verse. But if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest his house shall take one according to the number of the people, each one according to one's ability to eat, shall, be, shall you be counted for the lamb. The, the principle from God is others who share your faith, who are not immediate kin, but they share your faith, um, should be warmly considered and should be considered, in a spiritual sense at least, as, as part uh, of your family. This is how Israel is getting its beginning as the redeemed people of God vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the Passover here. Now we know that they've been separated and they've been in the land of Goshen and they haven't been permitted to mingle with the Egyptians. And one of those reasons is because the Egyptians despised them and looked down on them. They said, yeah, these people are pastoral. They're, they're agricultural people. We don't want anything to do with them. And so they always looked down. We saw that earlier in, in Exodus, and maybe we saw it also in the study of Genesis. So God, God provided a natural barrier in the hearts of the Egyptians that kept them separate. But, uh, but we also saw in the early days of Moses being revealed as the deliverer of the people that the people could be somewhat divided and cantankerous over, over how they wanted to be treated by Yahweh, uh, which was unfortunate. But all that's going to change. Their deliverance is going to do something to them as families, as neighbors, and as a congregation of people. So let's keep going. Verse uh, 5. You shall have a perfect male lamb in its first year. You may take it either from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it for inspection until the 14th. That's four days. Make sure that it's healthy. Make sure there's nothing wrong with it and that it's, there's no flaw. It's flawless. And the entire congregation of the community of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel on the houses in which they will eat it. And on this night they shall eat the flesh roasted over with fire and unleavened cakes with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Okay, now why, why this instruction being roasted over fire? In the greater context of this passage, the, the encumbrance is placed upon the people by Yahweh to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Okay, they had to have a bug out bag. 
and it's not supposed to be too heavy. They're not supposed to be too concerned about what they carry. They need to carry a staff and some other. We're going to see that. Um, I love to watch these guys on YouTube, what they put in their bug out bags, you know. One guy has his own channel. He's called the, the Gray Bearded Green Beret. <laughs> He's an old retired special ops guy. He was a Green Beret back in the day. Uh, and he had been trained in, in all this survival stuff as a soldier, how to live out in the middle of nowhere by eating grass and roach bugs, I guess, whatever. <laughs> and he said, you know, when you're getting away, the important thing is to get away. Some of these guys will have a bug out bag, it's like 80 pounds, you know, and so they're, come on, come on, come on. This guy says, I have an 18 pound bug out bag, and now he's got a new one, I says, I got it down to 15 pounds. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me anyway, what these guys have in those little bags. Well, think about that. These, the Israelites, all hundreds of thousands of them are about to have to bug out. And they're going to have to leave Egypt quickly. This whole thing deals with, with the importance of their maintaining their faith in God who will sustain them and also cook the lamb quickly. Don't, don't take time to butcher it. You know, oh, this is my favorite cut, so I'm going to cut the end. Don't do that. Gut the thing, skin the thing, and then roast it. Do it the quickest way possible. That's what this whole instruction is about. Verse 7, the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. I remember some time back, I didn't know what a lintel was. I know what it is now. I didn't know what it was. Uh, but they were to put blood on the, board, on the two uh, doorposts and on the lintel. Uh, and this, is, this, this, this develops into a very beautiful uh, story here. Eat the flesh that night, roast it over fire, so, so they can't take a lot of time cutting up the thing and, and slicing out their, you know, their favorite parts. They just got to roast the whole thing after it's been uh, gutted out and, and skinned and so forth. And be ready to go. Bitter herbs were easy to put together. They're also symbolic. You shall not eat it raw or boiled in water. It takes too long. Boil it in water. Except roasted over the fire, its head with its legs and with its entrails. And you shall not leave over any of it until morning or whatever is left over of it until morning. You shall burn in fire. Now this Passover lamb also has a, a deeply uh, symbolic and spiritual meaning for us. Christ is the Passover lamb. Uh, the, the body of Christ is not the kind of a thing that's just thrown here and there and take bits and pieces it's a, it's a complete and whole thing. When, when you ate of the bread of Christ, <laughs> there were no leftovers, <laughs> right? There, you know, oh, I'm going to take this part of Jesus with me tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. 
So this, the wholeness, the importance of the wholeness of the, of the sacrifice, the lamb, the Paschal lamb, is, is, is important. Nothing left. If it is, burn it with fire. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's a Passover to Yahweh. Gulp that thing down. Put your, put your shoes on and tie up the bottom part of your robe because any minute you're going to have to get out of here and you're going to have to move quickly. So the instructions are given. They're told how to dress and how to be ready, even how to eat uh, the Passover. Verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on this night and I will smite every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And upon all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgments. I, Yahweh. Actually, it would, Ani, Ani Yahweh. Ani Yahweh. It would be, I am Yahweh. Um, I have the word God's uh, in bold and underlined script. And here it is in red and bold. Elam. Elem. Ele. From Elem. Ele. Ele. That's a word for demons. Divine being. The root of it goes to Elohim, which is the great God. Uh, Elohanu, our God. But here it's Elei, demon gods, demons. Now this is interesting to me. I'm going to execute judgment on every man and beast in the land of Egypt, the firstborn of every man and beast in the land of Egypt, and upon all of the demons of Egypt. That's how I read it. There are no other gods but God. But there are these, these demigods, these, these fallen angels, and they have power. Now, I want you to think about this. The implication is that since there was a beginning of Egypt, there not being the people of God were necessarily consumed with demons. Now, that's the same way with any culture we read about in the Bible. They have their gods and goddesses. Those are just, those are just energized by, by demons. The, the, the people are oppressed. I mean, you know, some, some statue doesn't have any power, some piece of wood or whatever. But the, the minds of the people are so oppressed and, and consumed by, by demonic possession that this is what those who are not the people of God want. This is what they want to do. They want to worship something else. The propensity to worship is there. It's innate within us. It's there. It's no different in these, in these days. Um, the evolutionists, for example, if you study their works, 
they have the same applications from their hearts that people who worship gods and goddesses do. In other words, they have a reverence for what they do. It's, it's something they just worship. This, the same way with uh, the same with I'll never eat any more of that, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's the same way with people who have social agendas today who deny and reject the word and way of God. It can be government. It can be social. It can be it can be this, this uh, per perversion of sexual identity and, and behavior and so forth. It can be that. Those people are as committed. Any of those groups of people, any, I don't care who they are. There's no difference between them. They are as committed, absent the Spirit of God. They are as committed to those beliefs as anybody else would be in a religious setting. To them, it's a religion. And it comes from the spiritual wickedness in high places. Demons will hear. The word is actually used. The demon gods, the demigods, the gods, the demons of Egypt. I'm going to execute judgments. We've already seen how God has just gone right through the, 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 uh, the list of Egyptian gods and goddesses with each plague. Each plague ad attacked some specific deity that was a chief deity in Egypt. Well, this is the, this is the worst and, and final one. Verse 13, and the, and the blood will be for you for a sign upon the houses where you will be. I'll see the blood and I will pass over you. And there will be no plague to destroy you when I smite the people of the land of Egypt. And this day shall be for you as a memorial, and you shall celebrate it as a festival for Yahweh. Throughout your generations, you shall celebrate it as an everlasting statute or ordinance. How will the, how will the story of a true and living God delivering His people be passed along in history from family to family. That's a very important point, in my opinion. So, from now on, they still do, they still, this still goes on, of course, among the Jews. Now, verse 15, for seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. On the preceding day, you shall clear away all leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that soul or that person, that soul, that person, that single person shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, that is a, a holy solemn assembly. And on the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. No work may be performed on them on those days. But that which every person must eat, that alone may be prepared by you. Don't prepare anything else, just this. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I have taken your armies out of the land of Egypt, 
and you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And to this day it hasn't stopped among the Jewish people. Verse 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, in the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month in the evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. For whoever eats leaven, that same person, shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, both among the strangers and the native born of the land. You shall not eat any leaven. Throughout all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw forth or buy for yourselves sheep for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb sacrifice. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. You shall strike it to the lintel and to the two doorposts of the blood that is in the basin. You shall not go out any man from the entrance of his house until morning. Okay, now... Two different verbs here, and, and to me this, this is important. Verse 23, Yahweh will pass through. Uh, first one, pass through, it's that verb right there. I have it in red. means that he's going to go into the household. All right? The personal presence of Yahweh. So the Yahweh of grace will inhabit the worship of his people. And the presence of Yahweh, when he passes through, The presence of Yahweh guarantees and assures that no destruction will come upon that household. So he will see the blood on the door, two doorpost. Yahweh will pass over the door. He passes through to pass over. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now, in this greater context, Yahweh says that he destroys, and then Yahweh says that he calls for a destroyer. The destroyer, remember now the presence of Yahweh. No force of destruction or corrupt. The word destro destroyer can also be uh, translated as corrupter of corruption. Yahweh will assume the responsibility both to personally protect His people and will also personally oversee the destruction of the enemies of His people. He uses one who is called a destroyer. It's in a participle. That's, that's just very interesting. The, 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 the destroying, the destroying one, the destroyer. Um, some, apparently some kind of 
spiritual power, Yahweh, commands to move through to the smiting of the firstborn, both man and beast. But there's, he is absolute, this destroyer is absolutely powerless to those who are behind the blood of the Lamb, the homes of which are inhabited by the personal presence of Yahweh. That's the pass through. So there's a pass over and there's a pass through. And Yahweh is overseeing personally this whole thing. Every family, every household, every person within the household and within the family. Verse 24, and you shall keep this matter as an ordinance for you and your children forever. You see that? For you and your children forever. It shall come to pass when you enter the land that Yahweh will give you. Okay, I should have. I should have underlined and emboldened that word will. Yahweh will give you the land. Now, they're, they're 40 years or so away from it, right? It doesn't just, doesn't just it's going to happen because God said it would. But he has to deal with some things. Yahweh will give you as he spoke that you shall observe this service. It will come to pass if your children say to you, now here's the important thing. What's this all about? What's this service? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh. For he passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, and he saved our houses. And the people kneeled and, and knelt, I should have said, knelt and prostrated themselves. So the children of Israel went and did this. As Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. It is, it is, the, it is the natural process within the family of God for one generation to pass the story and power of salvation from the true and living God down to the next generation. It's just a natural thing. Um, many of you parents like, like we, were, we, we were, we were restless until we did all that we could do to see that our children came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was uppermost in our hearts and minds. It, Nothing else mattered uh, but, but their relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the way that it should be, really, uh, with every family. And Yahweh puts the importance on it right here. Your children are going to ask someday. How many kids? It's not really the same thing, but how many people, how many kids watch other kids get baptized and ask, what's that all about? What's that all about? Well, the Lord knew what he was doing when he imposed uh, the ordinance of baptism. It came to pass at midnight, Yahweh smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon, every firstborn animal. Pharaoh got up at night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great outcry in Egypt for there was no house in which no one was dead. Every, every household has a, 
as a firstborn. You don't start out with a secondborn, right? Uh, and so, verse 31, so he called for Moses and Aaron at night, and he said, get up, get out from among my people, both you as well as the children of Israel. Go worship Yahweh as you've spoken. Take your flocks, your cattle as you've spoken. And go, but you shall also bless me. That's interesting. Total surrender. So the Egyptians took hold of the people to hasten them to send them out of the land. For they said, we shall all, I shouldn't say be dead. It should say, we shall all be dead. Or we shall all die. We shall all be dead. The people picked up their dough. When it was not leaven, that's not money, that's dough. <laughs> their kneading bowls bound in their garments on their shoulders, and the children of Israel did according to Moses' order. They borrowed from the Egyptians silver object, golden object, garments. Yahweh gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. They lent them. They plundered Egypt. Here, take this stuff. Just get out of here. We're all dead. See, they, 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 finally it gets through even to Pharaoh. You're all going to die if you don't let Israel go. I'm going to start with the firstborn go from there. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot, the men, 600,000 men besides young children. Okay, now, this is where we get our estimate that there's somewhere between two and three million people. There were 600,000 men. There would, have been, there would have been women and children as well. Also, a great mixed multitude went up with them, flocks and cattle, very much livestock. They baked the dough that they had taken out of Egypt as unleavened cakes, for it had not been leavened. They were driven out of Egypt. They could not tarry, and also they had not, they had not made provisions for themselves. And the sojourn of the children of Israel, uh, that they dwelled in, dwelt in uh, Egypt, was 430 years. God took note of every moment of their time in Egypt. This was hard for the, gen what was that, 13, 14 generations, something like that. Very hard for those people to live as slaves and to be mistreated. But God had a purpose, a plan, and timing uh, and they remained separate. They grew into a nation who didn't even have a calendar until God gave it to them. They don't have any laws until God gives it to them. They knew they were of the seed of Abraham and that there was a God of Abraham, but they didn't even know his name until God uh, revealed it uh, and probably didn't completely understand redemption or salvation until the time of the Passover. Uh, so... 430 is a long time, but it's, of course, nothing to God. And he forged a nation out of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through those 430 years so that when they came out of Egypt, they were a mighty people. They don't realize how mighty they are just yet. But God chooses Moses, who was great leader, great organizer, very faithful man, patient, Lost his patience a couple of times, but uh, was a great leader for the people. 
But we here see that God knew exactly how long they were there. The time had come for them to be released and be redeemed. And nothing, absolutely nothing, would stop the salvation that God had sent for them. I'm going to stop there. I can't finish this whole thing tonight. Um, we'll, God willing, we'll pick it up with verse 41 uh, next time. So let's pray together. Lord, we marvel at your great power and your power to save. Thank you, Lord, that this has extended even to us through our great Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, about whom all of this was just a type to point to him. In his name, amen.